It is five o'clock in Salford. That means one thing and one thing only. It's the BBG with you for the next two hours. Thanks for joining me. Have you had a good day thus far? It is the 16th of November 2021. It's your Richie Allen show and, as usual, I think you'll find I've got two very interesting guests lined up for you today. So let's do it then, without further ado. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, about 12 months ago, in fact, nearly 12 months to the day, you and I, we met Tracy McCallum, an NHS nurse, a Scottish NHS nurse. We met her because she made headlines around the world. Newspapers in New York and... Australia and places like that picked up her story. She was suspended from her job because she dared to speak out against the the lockdown narrative, the vaccine narrative. Tracy's appeal against her suspension was only heard very recently. I've invited her back on the programme. We'll speak to her this hour. I think she's a top lady, Tracy McCallum, this hour. And later on in the programme, my old friend, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, former U.S. Assistant Treasury Secretary in the Reagan administration. Paul is back. We'll, he'll talk us through many things. PaulCraigRoberts.org is his website. I can't recommend it highly enough. Check it out if you haven't before. Lots to get into with Paul a bit later on. And, as usual, if you'd like to participate, you can participate away by going to richieallen.co.uk and leaving a comment on Comment Live, that page on the menu bar, Comment Live. I very rarely get to the end of it. Indeed. Two minute increments, that's the one. Anyway, yeah, good day. Good day. I've had a decent old day. Met a gentleman in the park this morning. I hadn't seen him for a while. Gentleman called Paul. There are three Pauls in the park. Each of them has two dogs. <laughs> it's a bit strange. So you can't say to somebody, did you see Paul? Which Paul? Paul, two dogs. There's three of them. Right, Paul with the flat cap. There's two of them. All oh, right, okay, yeah. Paul then. Paul with the beagles. Good good chat with him this morning. And uh, that warmed the cockles of my heart. It was a chilly one this morning. Foggy it was. Very cold fog kicked off the day here in Salford. Now... Now, now, by the way, David Hathaway, the sheriff from Arizona, will be back on the programme tomorrow. Lovely man, very interesting, bright as a button, and we had a great conversation last time he was on, so I'm looking forward to David coming on tomorrow. Santa Cruz, isn't it? Santa Cruz in Arizona. Well, 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 Gibraltar has just cancelled Christmas. Gibraltar also happens to be the most vaccinated place on God's green earth. What kind of feckery is this, Amy, might ask? Well, yeah, they've just announced that, quote, official Christmas parties, official receptions, and similar gatherings, un- end of quote, have been cancelled. The Health Minister, Samantha Sacramento, what a great name. She said the drastic increase in the numbers of people testing positive 
Oh God, it's a stark reminder that the virus is still very prevalent, she has an Irish accent, in our community, and that it's the responsibility of us all to take every reasonable precaution to protect ourselves and our loved ones. I genuinely laughed out loud, and being a bit of a child, I I do laugh out loud quite a bit during the day. I genuinely laughed out loud when I read on RT.com, and it was corroborated it was corroborated by the Guardian newspaper that the um, Gibraltar has a fully vaccinated rate of, well, 118%. What kind of fuckery are you? <laughs> I know. How's that possible? Well, it's possible because a lot of Spaniards cross the frontier to work and they're vaccinated, so they lump them in. Gibraltar's entire adult population has been fully jabbed since March. Yet, masks are still required in shops and on good old public transport. Yes, sure it's all a bit mad, isn't it? That's the one. Now, I lived near Gibraltar for years and we used to cross the frontier regularly from Spain. And I've still got friends in the media there. Thanks be to Jeepers, you know including an old guy I worked with during my talk radio Europe days called Bartolo Burrow. Now, he snuck a microphone into Fabian or Fabian Picardo's office. Fabian Fabian Picardo is Gibraltar's first minister. Now, I speak fluent Spanish, so I'm going to translate. This is a hidden, this is a hidden mic that that, that was placed in the First Minister's office and it captured the moment when he's talking with his chums about cancelling Christmas. This is a bit of a world exclusive now for the Richie Allen show. Very proud of this. This is the sort of stuff that Roger Cook used to do, but I'm doing it now today. So I'm going to translate because in my eight years on the Costa del Sol, I became word perfect in Spanish. And, and Ukrainian, as it happens, but that's for another day. So here we are then. This is hidden. This is brand new. We told the donkeys it was three weeks to flatten the curve. Gibraltar is tiny, we said. We'll squash COVID, we said, and you can go back to normal. And the puta madres believed it. We closed the schools, fucked up the education, and closed their businesses until the jackasses took the jabs that we gave them. Now they've all had three jabs. And today I told them that Christmas was cancelled. I told them that the jabs wear off and that they need to get more jabs and more jabs. Hey Bartolo, these motherless donkeys will take anything we throw at them. That's a world exclusive that I hope the Daily Mail picks it up tomorrow, just so long as they credit the Richie Allen show. Thanks to Bartolo Burrow there for for the exclusive. Eight minutes past the hour. Hey, speaking of motherless donkeys, Nicola Sturgeon is back in, or was back in Holyrood this afternoon. That's uh, Scotland's first minister. Oh, yeah. Um, 
she has an appeal here for the unjabbed. If you're not jabbed, you need to listen to we, Jimmy Cranky, otherwise known as Nicola Sturgeon. So once again, I'm hugely grateful to everyone helping get jags into people's arms as quickly as possible. Yeah, she says jags, not jabs. I don't know why. And I also want to take this opportunity again to urge every single person who is eligible for vaccination, whether for a first or second jab or a booster or third jag, to please take up the offer without delay and get the flu jag too. What is a jag? If you are eligible. Getting vaccinated remains the single most important thing any of us can do to protect ourselves, our loved ones and our communities. It is impossible to overstate how important it is to get vaccinated. So if you haven't already, please do so now. You could be saving your own life or the lives of your loved ones. You will be reassuring others, including those most at risk, some of whom have clinical conditions that mean they cannot get vaccinated themselves. You will be helping those working in the NHS and you will be maximising our collective chances of getting through this winter without the need to reintroduce any restrictions. Ah, that's the sting in the tail. You know, if you haven't fallen around laughing at all the bullshit that preceded the warning that if you don't have the jabs restrictions will return at Christmas all that crap about protecting the immunocompromised who who sadly for them can't get the jabs because maybe they're getting chemo so you should get one on on their behalf horse manure of course she's a proper little tyrant is cranky listen to this Signing officer in my view choosing without good reason not to be vaccinated is deeply irresponsible wow Getting vaccinated, on the other hand, is a civic duty and it is the most precious gift we can give to others at this time. Precious gift, gift you can give to others. It's a civic duty. Unless you have a good reason. This is starting to ramp up now. You can feel this in recent days, right? This pressure that's coming. An amazing article in The Telegraph today. I referred to it in one of my own articles on richieallen.co.uk. The Telegraph is behind a paywall. So I don't know if you've read it. You might subscribe to The Telegraph, you might not. Fantastic article about the about how the unvaccinated are becoming an underclass around the world and how that is becoming very, very serious for the life prospects of the unvaccinated. Good stuff. Anyway, more from Cranky. The vaccine programme is and will continue to be the bedrock of our efforts to control COVID. However, other baseline mitigations remain in place. Yeah, we can leave that there. Yeah, it's your, you've got a civic responsibility. It's a moral responsibility to come and have your, your jag, whatever that is. What's an awful, awful... I know I should never bring it down to that level. And I wouldn't have dreamt of it in my career in mainstream media. Never dreamt of it. Not because I was scared of reprisals. Genuinely wasn't. I was a bit of a head case back in the day. I genuinely was. But because at that stage I cared... I actually cared about uh, doing the right thing. Now I couldn't give a damn. Um, Cranky wouldn't get a kick in a stampede. I mean, how is it that men, how is it that Scottish men, how is it that Irish men have come to be led around on a virtual leash by the likes of that sack of shit Jimmy Cranky, Nicholas Sturgeon, and, and goons like Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin? How is it that we've been reduced to this? That real men have been emasculated by these fools. Anyway, that's a rhetorical question. That's a rhetorical question. That's a question for another day. It's exactly 12 minutes past the hour. Comment on the programme through richieallen.co.uk. That's my website. It's me own.
It's nice to have your own website, is it? It is. It's lovely. Any more from Cranky? No. Here's an interesting exchange for you. Silky Carlo. It's a great name, that. She's been around Big Brother Watch for some years. In fact, during my days in London, on the telly in London, she came on The People's Voice with me, did Silky Carlo. She won't appear with me these days because I've spoken to too many of the anti-Semites, you see. And she might be tainted by that. But I still have a bit of time for Silky. Fascinating exchange. She was on BBC Radio 5's breakfast show this morning. The programme, which is hosted by Rick Edwards, but the, the main presenter, I suppose, is Rachel Burden. It's co-presented, but she's been... She's the senior presenter now that Nikki Campbell has moved. The programme wanted to get opinions from its listeners on Austria's decision to lock down the unjabbed, which Austria is currently doing for at least 10 days. If you're not jabbed, you've got to stay at home unless you've got good reason to leave your home. Tyranny, right? Presenter Rachel Burden will do the intro, then you will hear Silky Carlo. This is interesting I think. Well, perhaps the most controversial measure is happening in Austria, where two million unvaccinated people are being locked down for 10 days. Now, Austria has one of the lowest vaccination rates in Western Europe at around 65%. So, in my opinion today, we are asking if it's right to lock down people who refuse to be jabbed. Silky Carlo is director of the Civil Liberties Group Big Brother Watch. Good morning, Silky. Good morning. What do you reckon? Decent idea? It's it's terrible and it's terrifying. It's extreme. It's authoritarian. It's unscientific because, of course, vaccine is very good at protecting you against hospitalisation or worse. But they are not protecting people against infection. We can see that by the state that we're in. So I think what's happening in Austria is is alarming. It's a stain on the human rights record of Europe and it's not going to get us any uh, further in terms of the public health situation, quite the opposite. Yeah, I, I, we don't particularly want to get into a big discussion around vaccine efficacy because that is something we've talked about a lot. Although vaccines do reduce transmission rates, they don't entirely prevent infection, but they do reduce transmission rates. We- do you, Do you get? Because I've been trying to, I've been trying to explain this for some years as somebody who's worked in the media for many, many, many years. Do you get how people like Burden are speaking with authority? And the audience is probably not aware of what's going on. Burden is declaring the jabs to be good at stopping transmission. Now, when the media was the media, and it was many, many years ago, because I worked in it when people were good and people were ethical, Burden would, would have quoted somebody there. She would have said, well, according to Professor... Sunetra or Professor Jane or Professor Michael, the jazz. But no, Burden is speaking as if she is the authority. The jab stop transmission. That's very important, but it gets missed a lot. She's trying to shut down Silky Carlo here for making a very good point. Why are you locking people up in Austria if the jabs don't stop the damn transmission? It makes no sense. It makes no sense anyway but it makes no sense. We, we know that. We don't know that. But in terms of this debate around protecting certain people's freedoms, um, 
by restricting others. There is a valid case there, isn't there? What about the rights, the freedom of other people to be able to go about their business and live their lives in a way that is unrestricted because they've taken the appropriate cautions around vaccinations? Those rights, aren't they being trampled on by those who refuse to be jabbed? Silky? No. Um, but first of all, I think this point about vaccine efficacy is absolutely central to the policy that can't be skimmed over. Um, and it would be good, for example, if people looked at the UK um, health surveillance, uh, sorry, health security agency reports on vaccine efficacy and infection rates, because we are seeing massive infection rates, not just numbers, rates in vaccinated, double vaccinated people. So that is central to, 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 the, to the debate. Well done, Silky Carlo. Well done. Excellent. She says to Borden, don't dare try to skim over the point I made a moment ago. Right? These vaccines, love, they're doing nada, niente, squat, or as we say in Waterford, sweet fuck all. And the double jab they're increasingly presenting with symptoms of something or other. So again, this blows out of the water the idea that locking down the unjabbed is somehow going to reduce the transmission. Good job, Silky. But this kind of swing but, but, but I, I go back. Uh, but, 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 so the presenter has to come in here because she's getting her derriere handed to her. I go back to that key point that it does reduce your chances of passing on the virus. That- are you deaf, Rachel Borden, or are you fucking stupid? It obviously doesn't. You wench. Most people these days being tested for and then being found to have COVID in their systems have been double jabbed. Do you not understand that? They've been double jabbed. Meaning the jabs are useless. Just like you. Useless. You're a waste of oxygen. I would say that if I was Silky Carlo. So it doesn't matter whether you get jabbed or don't get jabbed. It seems like, according to the government, you're going to get this COVID again and again and again in any case. Good stuff. That is scientifically proven. So Now, Borden is saying it stops transmission or it does up to a point that's scientifically proven. It hasn't been scientifically proven at all. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. I just want to make that clear. There's, there, there's, there's conflicting evidence on it. So it, 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 go, you know, it goes both ways. And the fact of the matter is, you know, in the UK, for example... Um, we've got 90% of people who are vaccinated and still there are high rates of transmission. Um, so I think that, you know, the writing's on the wall. We've got to look at this in the long term. If we are having these authoritarian swings in Europe now, what does this bode for the future? How long is it before the UK follows in the footsteps of, of, of Austria? Um, if we're Not long. If we're going to follow a logical and unscientific policy and this does affect everyone vaccinated or unvaccinated and I, I i hate the idea of pitting these two groups against each other because it affects us all if we are living in an unfree and totalitarian kind of society where we have to show our papers that's what's now happening happening in austria they have a checkpoint society where police can stop anyone in a shop or anywhere and say, show me your medical papers. I really thought we could have learned something from the past about just how dangerous this kind of discriminatory spot checking is. So it'd probably be helpful for people to understand where you're coming from on all of this. Are you coming from the point of view of you don't have faith in the vaccines? Are, are you yourself vaccinated? Where do you stand on that? None of your business. Burden is worthless. This is ad hominem behaviour, this. 
she's being obtuse and deliberately so. She's ignoring the points that Silky Carlo is making. Whether Silky Carlo thinks the vaccines are any good or not, and she doesn't because she's basically intimated in the previous exchange that the jabs don't do anything to stop transmission. But regardless of what Silky Carlo thinks about the jabs, she's just explained why it is utterly tyrannical, evil, monstrous to lock people up because they won't take a government-mandated medicine. So Borden plays ad hominem then. So, so what is it then? I'm trying to understand. Is it because you're against the jabs? Have you had the jab yourself? This is the BBC. This is the BBC in glorious technicolour. I'm pro-vaccination, but we need to understand what vaccines do. And they are about protecting you and yourself and your health. Um, it's, it's, we shouldn't see unvaccinated people as a risk to others. It doesn't even make sense to say that a vaccine protects you from coronavirus, but it doesn't protect you from unvaccinated people who most likely don't have coronavirus. So the enemy here is the virus. It's not each other. It's not unvaccinated But you understand, people. obviously, if the virus is swirling around, there's more opportunity for it to mutate. If there's more opportunity for it to mutate, it then potentially undermines the vaccine. It puts vulnerable people at risk. So it's not quite as clear-cut as, as you suggest, is it? But it is as clear-cut as she suggests. Anyway, Silky. But the, 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 the virus is, is transmitting regardless of vaccination. Yes. And we need to be... Yes! Hallelujah. ...be listening to... We can't just go into this weird twilight zone of wishful thinking. We need to be listening to experts on this, not just politicians, and be realistic about the situation. And also be realistic about the fact that in times of emergency, politicians will seek to have power grabs. And all of this stuff is going to be very hard to undo. It's very hard to step back from a world in which people are carrying papers and showing them on demand to police officers and also putting their fellow citizens under house arrest because they haven't made a, a, a medical decision that politicians have told them to. Well done. Silky Carlo from Big Brother Watch UK. Beautifully eloquent in explaining what's been going on in Austria and why she's concerned that it might arrive here in the UK. Listen, we had a giggle at the top of this. Do you want another giggle? This made me laugh. You will know Damon Albarn, Damon Albarn, that's the one, as an incredibly successful singer-songwriter. Think Blur, of course. Think Gorillaz, of course. Think his own solo career. He's very, very good. But he's a bit mad, God love him. He's recorded his latest album in Iceland. And he came back from Iceland pretty shook. Ah, he was shook up. Shook up, I tells you, at his encounter with climate change because Damon met climate change. He met it face to face while in Iceland. He was on BBC Breakfast Television this morning and he explains, well, he explains what he saw. There's no depth to which the BBC won't stoop. Listen to this. And and, and the thing is that Schneefeldjokul, which is the name of the place. Schneefeldjokul. I've never heard of that. If you're from Iceland, tell me. Where is it, Schneefeldjokul? And, and, and the thing is that Schneefeldjokul, Schneefeldjokul, which is the name of the glacier, has receded really noticeably in the last 20 years. So I've, I've actually watched kind of climate change in action, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 that, and that was the kind of um, the inspiration for this record, to meditate on that. And see where it took me. 
And how upset are you by that when you watch that happening in front of your window? With a weird... And how upset are you by that when you watch that happening in front of your window? With a weird... In front of your window. The weird thing there is it doesn't really feel... I mean, you're aware of it, that it's receded, but it still looks so magnificent and beautiful. And, you know, and it's still a very, very clean country. In that sense. So, yeah, but it, but it's real. It's real. You know, so that, that's the thing. It, it is real. It's and real. Its effects are real. If Damon Alburn says climate change is real because he saw a glacier receding through his front window, well, that does it for me. It's twenty-four and a half minutes past the hour. This is your Richie Allen radio show. It's live. Live, I tells you, from Salford. You can pick it up, though, through podomatic.com. That's where I recommend you go first. In fact, you only need go to richieallen.podomatic.com, richieallen.podomatic.com. Do that, and you can, I don't know, you can follow me there, and if you miss a live episode, you'll always catch it there. But you can also catch it on richieallen.co.uk. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, the picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously, ensignfilms.co.uk. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics, and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Now, Wayne, or the Urban Fox, says there is no rate of transmission. There is a high rate of testing with a test not testing for a virus. That's your opinion, Wayne. Craig, everybody's opinion is everybody's opinion, I suppose. Craig says, I know a few people who haven't been jabbed, but most I know have been jabbed. No one who hasn't been jabbed has so far been ill. But lots of the people I know who have been jabbed have been coming down with COVID. COVID is in inverted commas. Rob says, I'm actually embarrassed to be a Scottish man. Never thought I would say that. Rob, listen, you're not on your own. I look at those goons, those morons, those... I'm not going to use bad words now. I'm going to just calm down with it. Running the Irish government, it's the same in my country. It's the same here in England. Oh, God. Alan says, wench is a good word. Why did they refuse to look at the 2009 swine flu BS scare demic when Big Pharma got caught using fear and selling dodgy drugs? Alan, you know the answer to that. I don't have to tell you. Caroline says paid liar burden. Well, she's paid. I'm not sure we can say she's paid to lie. She does lie. I'm pretty sure she does. But that's just my opinion. She might not be lying. Maybe burden believes it. You've always got to leave room. For a little bit of doubt, maybe these presenters so close to it, working in that building, uh, over on Salford Keys, maybe they believe what it is they're saying. I'm sceptical, but there you go. Okay. All righty. Shall I take a tune and shall we get Tracy on? I'll do that. Tracy McCallum will be my guest, made international headlines, did Tracy, last year. And I mean international headlines when she was suspended from her job as an NHS nurse in Scotland because she, well, 
she asked a few questions and made a few observations from her own uh, experiences at the very beginning of the whole COVID thing. So, Tracy McCollum returns to the programme. It's been nearly, it's three days short of a year since she was first on the programme. Later on, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, former US Assistant Treasury Secretary, will be live from Virginia. This is Denise Williams, and let's hear it for the boy from the Footloose soundtrack. Welcome to the Richie Allen Show. Just gone half five and sold for Denise Williams. Let's hear it for the boy on the Richie Allen radio show. Now, this time last year, my first guest came on the programme, and uh, I felt sorry for her at the time. I needn't have felt sorry for her because she's, uh, well, she's tough. Uh, She's feisty. She's hard. I think, and more than capable of looking after herself. But I felt sorry for her because she was making headlines everywhere. Here in the UK, in Ireland, they picked up the story in America, New York Post, around the world. She was a nurse for more than 20 years working for the NHS. She was working in Ayrshire at the time and spoke out on social media about the whole COVID situation, made comments about lockdown, about vaccines, and, you know, claims that hospitals were full and that sort of thing. She was suspended uh, from her job, which must have been terrible for her. Would you believe uh, it took nearly a year for her appeal to be heard? It was heard only a few weeks ago. I'm delighted to welcome back to the programme Tracy McCallum. Tracy, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Richie. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you. And, and I mean that. Um, it doesn't seem like a year ago that, that we spoke about it. That will tell you how quickly time has flown by. But mm-hmm. but it took a long time for the appeal to come around. Tell us what happened at the appeal then. Oh, uh, sorry, I'm getting feedback in this. Can you hear me okay? You are coming through beautifully. There's no echo f- from what we're hearing from you at all. So don't worry about that. If you can work with it. I'm not getting any echo at all. I'm just hearing myself talking back. Um, yeah, the the appeal was away back in September, um, and it was just another interrogation. I had an te- uh, investigation in January, then my disciplinary in April. I got the results of that in June, and the appeal was eventually heard in April, um, and it was just another interrogation, uh, two and a half hours. The disciplinary was like five hours. But it was pretty much going on and asking me whether I was an epidemiologist, immunologist, virologist. Um, and obviously I said no. I was quite happy to get one on, though, because I'm sure with all the contacts we've all made through all this, we could, I could have sorted it. I um, love it. I had reached out to Doris Cahill at one point, and she had said, yeah, she would support me, but my work just wouldn't allow it. Um, there was no way they were going to get any experts to back me up. So in April, you're called in and they're kind of, now this is not your word, this is my word. It sounds like they were bullying you, asking you, who do you think you are? Are you an epidemiologist? Are you whatever? And you mm-hmm. you cleverly said, well, no, but I know some who see things the way I do and they are qualified, yet your accusers wouldn't allow you to bring a witness to speak up for you. No, they just wanted to sort of interrogate me about why I said what I said, why I did what I did, um, try to go down the mental health route, which to a certain extent I did because um, I, I don't know if you guys remember talking to me last year, but I was probably in a bit of a state compared to how I am now. 
Um, I'd obviously just realised exactly what had been going on. You weren't in a bit of a state. I remember last year you weren't, and, <laughs> and, and you were not frantic. But, look, I did ask you in the conversation last year, how is this sitting with you, Tracy? I remember saying that because this isn't something you've ever contemplated before, whereas I've... It, it horrified me last March 2020. Of course it did. But I've been listening to various academics and authors for years who kind of predicted that humanity was going down this road. But even I was horrified. It was obvious that you hadn't contemplated any of these things. So of course you were bound to be a bit shook up by all of that, you mm-hmm. know. And you said to me that your postings were a bit erratic and stuff. And I'm not just, I'm genuinely not buttering you up. I looked at them. They were a bit scattergun, I suppose, in your approach. But uh, <laughs> but I don't think there was anything in there that anybody could have said, oh, she's gone mad. But 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 understandably, you were obviously, like everybody else, trying to come to terms with the enormity uh, of what might be I going think on. A lo- I think a lot of it was predictive text, to be honest. Was um, it? Um, predictive text. It comes back to bite you quite a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I tend to, I always type things really fast on my phone and don't always double check what I've written, make sure that the right words come out. So, <laughs> yeah, predictive text sometimes does get you in trouble. I'm thinking of President um, Donald Trump here and Kofefe. <laughs> I remember that Kofefe, whatever that meant. So, so, so you've learned that lesson anyway. Before you press send, look back over the text uh-huh. again and again. So they were interrogating you then and trying to del- to kind of delve down into why you said what you said. And yeah. you stood your ground, did you, Tracy, and said, well, I think this is a bit sinister. Well, for day one, I never, I never denied what I did. Yeah. Um, I did deny going to the papers because I didn't do that. Um, as far as I was concerned, that was my line manager that politely did that. Um, she uh, had got a call, I think it was the morning of the 1st of November, um, after I had probably uh, spent two full nights um, sort of coming across quite a lot of doctors and uh, <sighs> Mike Eden and people like that all speaking out and it was just horror when I realised what was going on thinking I have been a part of this. Yeah, but um, you weren't a part of it. Oh, oh, well, a part of it as in doing the work and sort of carrying on um, and I just, as soon as I figured out what was going on, I thought, I can't be involved in this. This is disgusting. Um, I was ashamed of the NHS for the first time in my life. Um, so, yeah, I, it just didn't sit right. So I, I, I'm not very good at holding my water when I think something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. So that I took some bottles. I started off sp- sp- uh, speaking out on Nurses Roar. And it was, I think it was the year that things sort of started to get bad with my work. Um, I'd been reported from a post I'd put on Nurses Roar. Um, I think I'd spoke about genocide and injections and things like that and the Holocaust. So it kind of didn't go down too well with my work. Um, but at that point, I was already off anyway because I'd been put through the conduct for forgetting my past. Um, so... It just uh, made things a wee bit more uh, worse anxiety-wise and stuff like that. But ultimately, the newspaper thing sort of did really well because it got me a lot of nurses that came and supported me um, and just helped me get through a, a difficult few months. That's the thing um, as well, isn't it? When When all of these newspapers everywhere ran with the story, because you you were probably the first 
to be to be turned into such a high profile um story. Yeah, I think it was the first Scottish yeah. nurse, not so much the first UK nurse. Yeah, in Scot but but maybe not the first UK nurse, but still you were the first to get that level, I think, of mm-hmm. of scrutiny because of of what you said. So you did get an enormous amount of responses from nurses elsewhere and not just in the UK either. That must have at least at that time, that must have given you you know, you you must have had a kind of a sigh of relief thinking, well, it's not just me now. Uh-huh, I thought it was going crazy. I thought, am I the, a matrix? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I ended up after that, I created a, a private messenger group and I ended up getting quite a lot of nurses, um, paramedics, social workers, um, a few teachers all involved. So we're still going strong now. I think we've got over 100 um, and we all sort of chat daily, sort of swap stories um, and just really support each other. Uh, but there's, there is a lot of fear just now about what people are going to do about jobs. Um, and I think that's really quite well, sad, isn't it, with what's going on? Work through the winter that will sack you on April Fool's Day. Yeah, it's one, it's one, uh, it's one of the reasons I, well, I was happy that you got back in touch. Disappointed that you lost the appeal, but you knew that anyway. I expected it. You knew yeah. your time was I up. I mean, here. if you look back, I've got um, emails away back from January in my work when they were bringing me in for an attendance management meeting because of my sick time. Um, and um, I was like, I don't even know why you're doing this. It's, I'm under no illusions. I'm going to lose my job over this. Um, and at that point, I was obviously a lot better than what I had been because I'd, I came to terms with everything. Yeah. And I... <laughs> I have a theory, yeah. Tracy. I have a theory. By the way, Tracy McCallum is our guest. 20 years plus experience, nurse, uh, NHS, uh, highly regarded by her colleagues. How do I know that? Because when we spoke back in November, I had a number of different emails from people who knew Tracy at one time or another or who had worked with her and um, had spoken very highly of her. Now, when she began to say what she began to say about the whole COVID thing, Back in November last year, she was vilified. She believes a, a line manager, you know, tipped off the press uh, about her. And, and, and of course, we, we know what happens after that because we've just spoken about it there. And you're talking now about um, the decision to mandate the jabs for NHS workers, but not to not to begin checking it until April Fool's Day. What are you hearing? From 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 staff in the NHS, you're in contact with today. That must be the most demoralising thing of all time for those who don't want to have it. To be told, mm-hmm. "Well, we'll keep you on to help us get through the winter, and then we'll get rid of you." It that's almost like being in limbo. I don't know how to describe that. It must be an absolutely terrible feeling for them. Well, when you think what they've been through, I mean, I I, I look at myself as a lucky one, albeit I went through um, hell. Um, I still look at myself as the lucky one because when I got sacked in June, uh, I did start looking for a job in a nursing home or just any job in nursing. And I'd got a Zoom call with a care home. Um, and apparently every single staff member and every single uh, patient in the care home were vaccinated. And the Zoom call started off. It started off as a Zoom call, but it didn't work. Um, but I did see the woman that was interviewing me um, and she was sitting in the office in her own with a mask on and I sat there and thought, oh my God, how am I going to be able to work in a place like this? Yeah. Um, 
And then I started thinking about this winter, how I was going to cope if people were getting severely unwell. And I knew it would be a lot, it would be down to the vaccine injury and the fight I would have in my hands. And then uh, how I was going to deal with people dying. And I just thought, I can't do that. I don't even want to be a nurse anymore. Um, And I I pretty much just walked away. But I kind of look at it from the ones that have worked all the way through. the ones that are aware, uh, a lot of them are fighting tooth and nail to try and get information out to the patients and try and support them, uh, advocate for them. Uh, one of the nurses that I'm really close to from down south that came up to stay with me, um, she had a palliative care patient and she had to fight tooth and nail to get that woman allowed to stay at home and not go down the the, the hospital route um, and she that was part of her care plan she didn't want to go down the hospital route um, and she died at home thankfully and with dignity um, if she'd been in the hospital she wouldn't have had her family or young children round about her or anything so you've got to look at it from that point of view that's part of the reason a lot of nurses aren't speaking out but obviously the other part is some of them are more interested in money um, they obviously uh, you've got other ones that are just terrified of losing their income. That's all. The, that's a lifeline to um, surviving. Uh, I know I don't have any other income, so it was a big shock to my system getting sacked and then getting three well four hundred and eleven pounds for the first month and then nothing the second month because I had to get my um, back pay from my work, uh, 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 my protected pay. So. Yeah, I just kind of kept looking at it, thinking, how am I going to pay my mortgage at the end of the month? And things fell into place for me. I was quite lucky through the week community. Um, somebody reached, well, Kirsten Miller, as you know. Yeah, Kirsten. Um, she was on your show. Um, she actually reached out and said, MD, any nurses, we've got a chiropractor that's actually looking to support them um, and get them back into work. And luckily enough, I... I was the one. Thank <laughs> so God. I'm now working happily and it's the best job I've had in years. And you're and enjoying it. It's, yeah, it's half the money, but I'm surviving and that's the main thing. And you're smiling going to work. Oh, I'm ecstatic going to work. I don't dread it. <laughs> and it's a day job as well, which I've not done in donkey's years. You you look 20 years younger. That That's what that's what, that's what I'd say <laughs> if I saw you. you look, this is it, because you're actually sleeping when you're supposed to be asleep and not sleeping yeah, during the definitely. day. This is it. But tell me, tell me this, because when we spoke in November, I asked you, did you, I don't think you got emotional, but there might have been a little bit of a pause. Pre-2020, I asked you, did you love the job? And if I remember, you said you loved it. I hated the politics. You hated but the I loved politics, helping people. But you loved the patients. You loved helping <laughs> yeah. people and working with people. Yeah. Yeah. You always get a really. I mean, somebody thanks you. That's all you need. Oh, thanks you. Thanks, Chase. When they remember, especially when they remember your name. I mean, I was working with NHS twenty four for well eleven years active. Obviously, the last year I was inactive due uh, to the suspension. I I just think they didn't know what to do with me. Um, but it was a long time to be working for somewhere and. Yeah. I suppose it was always like you knew you did a good job and somebody remembered your name at the end of the call. Yeah, it's a lovely thing, um, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's a lovely thing that, yeah. But, but when I, I, I did everything when I was at uni, I did everything, you know, tel- telesales, the whole lot. Like, And when somebody thinks to remember to drop a note to somebody to say that 
you looked after them and of course you were properly looking after people I, I wasn't but uh, it is a lovely thing on 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 that I want to I want to ask you this 20 years uh, plus in the NHS I bang on about statistics it's easy to read statistics as I do but I've never experienced it have you noticed in your career have you noticed a the results of the defunding of the NHS. You know, we talk about beds being taken out over the years, the, the number of beds decreasing across uh, the UK, even in Ayrshire, even in your own part of the world. Have you seen the impact over the years on the health service as it's been um, mismanaged and defunded? Well, bear in mind, I've not been in the wards for donkey's years. Um, the last time I was actually in the wards was when I worked in spinal injuries, and that was probably about 14 15 years ago. Um, so after I left the wars, I worked in addictions, drug and alcohol. Um, but even back then, it was mostly about patient care. Um, there was a less jobs getting filled, but because we were a specialised area, we didn't really see it in, like they did in the main wards. Um, but with NHS 24, uh, yeah, you can see the the volumes, the volume of calls increasing dramatically. Um, you could see the waiting times for getting into the service increasing dramatically, and the the type of calls we were getting, it was just I kept saying for years, uh, well, the last four or five years anyway, we were creating people to be dependent on our service. Um, and you were hang on a second, take, you take their own responsibility. That, that that's kind of profound. That that. You, you or we were creating people to become dependent on the service. What do you mean by that? Well, we weren't teaching them independence. It was all about depending on the minute you've got an ailment, phone NHS 24. The minute you've got an ailment, phone the doctor. Right. It was never, like, I would always push to give them self-care advice, so my calls are always a bit longer because um, I always felt if I do something right, I'm going to give them advice to to keep them going until the A can see the doctor the next day or until the doctor comes tonight or the ambulance comes tonight. I want to make sure they know what they can do. Right. Um, and just, I mean, you would get people phoning in with a So they kind of turned people, they turned society into babies, basically. Mm-hmm. Into yeah. people yeah. incapable of Maybe. thinking for themselves. So they would ring up NHS 24 with things as mundane and as, Pathetic, God love them, as a sore toe. Mm-hmm. I brought in the bells one year with somebody um, phoning in with a blocked nose. A blo- <laughs> You're kidding <laughs> you me. You could write a book. <laughs> what is you, I'd, I'd love to have heard that call. Sir, sir, have you got <laughs> some... i have heard a few calls. Oh, mother of God. Have you got a tissue there, sir? Here's what you do. Place <laughs> it over your nose and then exhale as quickly as you can through your nose. Thank you, come again. That's, that's <laughs> what I want to say. Is that right? So... Wow, I wonder, yeah, and and maybe... I may, mean, when yeah. I first started, we, we would go out our way, like, you'd be easily a 15-minute call, and you would be going, making sure you were only getting people seen that needed seen. Yeah. And then you would get the odd one that would argue with you, argue with you, and you would put it down as disputed outcome. But it got to the stage that it, we were told it was easier just to get people seen because... Uh, Doc, it was wasting doctor's time phoning them back and reassessing them so the doctor would end up just saying come down to the service anyway so you were basically doing three times the job if you like if you if you did argue um, so it was yeah. all about the patient journey 
Um, and laterally, the patient journey's gone out the window. Um, so therefore, so therefore then, is it a possibility, could it be argued, that turning people into babies hooked hooked into the, the idea that they should contact the NHS whenever they sneeze or whenever they have mm-hmm. an itchy ear. Could it be that that was deliberate, that that was a deliberate policy to make people oh, like that? Yeah, aye, That's what I think. Yeah. I, I, well, obviously it's only my opinion. Um, but yeah, I, I just felt that it was getting ridiculous. Um, it was going from one extreme to another. Like, we would get pulled up if we didn't ask a specific question in a call and then laterally you're only allowed to ask something like, like if you're on the support line you're only allowed to ask six questions but I think now what they're doing is they're bringing the call handler and the nurse into the calls um, and uh, basically trying to make the decision what to do as soon as they can within that time frame so they want to get you they want you to get through a call in two or three minutes at the most and I think, um, and sorry, 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 Tracy. I think in the very near future, they want to replace the NHS twenty four nurse yourself with a virtual nurse, don't they? They definitely want to do that. The programs are there. So if I'm one of those people who rings the doctor every time I have a sore toe, I will go on my phone or my laptop, and it will be a virtual assistant, but it'll be an artificial intelligence program, very advanced. Which will take me through I, these questions. But yeah. Bearing in mind, this is NHS twenty four you're talking about, and yeah, I, I don't. I, well, I, I've never isolated them before, but my goodness, they've been in the paper plenty, and yeah. the the do they do well themselves at giving them themselves a bad reputation. Um, but if you, oh god, I, I can't remember how many years ago it was now. Maybe about eight years ago, maybe a bit more. We were in the paper because. Uh, they took the organisation, I think it was Capgemini, a cohort, because the mess they made of the computer system. Um, and instead of giving up and going to a new computer system, bearing in mind the one that they made for us was uh, based on an old bank system, um, they just kept persevering and kept persevering. And it was the most horrendous system. We went from uh, having a three-second waiting time to actually speak to somebody to, I think it's last I heard it was maybe an hour to two hours to actually get through and speak to a call handler, um, which is horrific when you think a lot of patients that we used to get on the line were 999 ambulances or home visit one hour because we're palliative care um, and they were always treated as a serious and urgent, which meant they should be straight through to a nurse. Three um, seconds so, to an hour? Uh, well, uh, uh, I don't know how long you'd have to wait tonight, but I mean, I, I, see, I, I go on the NHS 24 Facebook page often just to do my nosy, and I've seen people saying that they've waited two and a half hours to speak to somebody for their child, maybe six-month-old baby or something. It's disgusting. Which must be terrifying. I don't know because I'm not a parent, but that must be scary. Oh, me either. I know. Yeah. Well, when I think back to the type of um, kiddies we used to get on the phone, maybe they had bad croup and the breathing would be so laboured. Um, you'd have patients that were in agony with palliative care. And all these patients are just getting left hanging on the phone to speak to somebody. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I don't even know if NHS 24 still realise it, but I'm still in their text messaging system um, for doing extra hours. And I get 
three text messages just about every day, look desperately looking for people to cover their shifts. Um, so yeah, the whole system's completely crazy. But anyway, the the point I was making there is the the computer system was never fit for purpose. It took them um, to I think three four years ago to actually get it to work because it crashed a few times when they every time they tried to go live before. So they brought it out in Ayrshire and that's how I ended up moving down to Ayrshire from Cardonald in Glasgow. Um, How does that um, incompetence, does that incompetence get punished? Do, do the people responsible no. for that end up no. getting fired or moved away? No. no. The, the old um, CEO, he left, oh, I think it was the first time it failed or there was there was a bit of, I don't know whether it was a bit of a problem with expenses or something, but he left anyway and then they brought in another one. But that's all they do, they just replace people that decide to leave because they've had enough. Uh, when it comes to management, but nobody ever takes the rap. The ones that had a huge part of it are still there to this day and still causing the same amount of problems. Not fit for purpose. No. Tracy McCallum is our guest, more than 20 years as an NHS nurse and um, was uh, thrown into the limelight last year because she began to speak up about the the lockdown and the the, the, the vaccines. A story was picked up all over the world. Difficult time for Tracy. She subsequently lost her job because of it. She's doing really well now. Thank heavens for that. Is working with a chiropractor. Loves the job. Loves going into work, and that's absolutely fantastic. Have Have you seen anything in the last? This is the stupidest question now you'll ever be asked in your <laughs> life. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you seen anything in the last six or eight months to change your mind about the jobs being dangerous or or um, or unnecessary? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's an easy answer. No, um, even before they get brought out, I'd been listening to a lot of um, Prime Minister's questions and Boris Johnson talking down in Parliament, and he had been talking about uh, eighteen years, and they still hadn't done a, a vaccine for SARS-CoV-1. So I knew straight away as soon as I heard that that there was no chance they were going to get one that was safe for this. Yeah. And then obviously it came out that all the animal trials didn't go well with the previous attempts with the SARS-CoV-1. So then you all, all you need to do is look at the yellow card scheme, um, which is the same yellow card scheme that I, I put on the 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 desk at my appeal um, to the, the chair of my discipline. Oh, you didn't, te- you, did, you didn't tell us that a few minutes ago. Remind I us. I, I, sorry, I told you that today. No, you told, no, you told me today, um, but you, did, you, you told me today, but we didn't mention it tonight. Yeah. No, you did tell me today. This is really important. So during this appeal process, when they're interrogating you, you mm-hmm. were armed with a copy of the yellow card data and... Yeah, I put it on a leaflet. Well, it was on a leaflet, so I had a few of them in my bag. So I put them in the desk next to the two chairs, and they basically um, pushed it away, said, we don't want to look at that. We're not interested. Um, Here is stone-cold proof. Here is stone-cold proof Mm -hmm. that the things I was saying about Mm -hmm. the jabs are true, that these jabs are injuring people. And Mm -hmm. your interrogators just brushed the papers to one side and ignored them. It was the same with Tess Laurie um, from Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy. Yeah. I had a short clip from her, I think it was talk radio, but you could see how passionate she was in that clip. And she was talking about how she'd done an open letter to um, stop the vaccine rollout. 
Um, and she'd also spoke about ivermectin, the meta-analysis that she did in ivermectin. Um, and I, I said, look, I've got a six-minute video here that will give you an idea of how I got to the stage I was at last year. Not, not interested. We'll take on board your concerns. But even when I whistleblowed, everything, I, went, I did eventually whistleblow the, the, effect, the official way. Um, and I got my meeting with uh, one of the chairs of the board, a, a doctor, I can't remember his name, Dr Perry, I think his name was. Um, but anyway, I got my um, hearing with him through Zoom. I seemed quite sympathetic at times, um, but of course, every so often they would just stick up for the government. And then I got the outcome of the whistleblowing and they basically said they were following government guidelines and I responded asking um, well if you're following government guidelines I'd like to see them to see what you're following to see where my concerns are different for your concerns but no I didn't even end get of communication. them either end no. of communication they just weren't interested he did seem interested I would imagine a lot I, I spoke to a GP today who hung up his white coat only last Tuesday um, he's taken himself off the register. I won't name him. He'll probably be on the programme next week or the week after. A well-known, a well-known GP, in fact. And um, well, he's absolutely aghast. You know, he he echoes everything you've said to me today about the jabs. And on the yellow card system, when when was the last time you had a look at the latest data, and how bad is it looking as far as you can see, Tracy? Oh, funnily enough, I actually put it in. Um, I post yesterday, so I screenshotted it. I'll just go into my phone and look. Have a quick look there. Uh, Tracy McCallum is our guest, for, former NHS nurse now, it must be said, sadly. 20 plus years experience, lost her job for, um, well, for telling the truth, as far as I can see. Uh, I should say, I did try to take myself off the, the NMC register, um, but they won't take me off until my fitness to practice is con- completed. Oh, you got to go through which that. Which they reckon, yeah, they reckon that'll be in January. But I've stopped paying. I don't want to be associated with them anymore as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Good riddance. They're, they're all corrupt, yeah, and yeah. I don't want my name part of it. So that's how I try to get off. But I had a big argument with them as well um, last week. Uh, and I, I basically went through everything with the, the guy. He was apparently from a legal side um, doing my, ve- my investigation. And I went through everything with him. I even told him that my old work, and I know other um, people in certain trusts, the 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 trusts are actually offering, wait for it, staff to go into a price draw to get a, a flu jab. You're now, kidding me. That is totally unethical. Anybody that's a nurse would know that, that knows their code of conduct, knows that that is totally unethical. You do not... <laughs> Coerce somebody to go into a money prize draw. We weren't even allowed to take any gifts as nurses. It was the only time we were allowed to gift was when it was a box of chocolates for the full ward. Hang on a we second, gaming, personal gifts. gaming around the flu jabs. So, so what are you telling me? Nurses are offering are offering the, patients. The trust, no, the trust. The trusts. The trust are offering staff. Um, to go into a prize draw if they take the to, flu jab. To take up the jab. <laughs> My God. I know, you couldn't write it. 
Um, so I'm looking at the the report run date for the yellow card scheme was the fifth of November. Yeah. Um, and total reports are three hundred and eighty three. Uh, I think take it that's three hundred. I don't know three hundred eighty three thousand. But the total reactions are one million two hundred sixty one, and the total fatalities were one thousand seven hundred sixty eight, and that was as of. The fifth of November, and that it might be ten times that. I made this point the other day, so it it might yeah. be. We can't say it is, but it might be more than enough to suspend the entire vaccine program and mm-hmm. to shut it right down, especially in light of uh, pandemics ten years ago, eleven years ago. The uh, yeah, swine I mean, flu. I, I I even brought that up. Uh, my appeal. I said I'd I brought up the amount with the yellow card scheme. I said. That's more than all vaccinations in the course of 30 years put together and the amount of fatalities. And they just weren't interested. interested. Also, the the chair of the the disciplinary, my original disciplinary, he was there. And I I basically said uh, that he, at my disciplinary, had stated that he takes all his information from the JCVI so how come, does he still take all his information from the JCVI or is it from the government he's taking it from? Because the JCVI quite clearly came out and said that they didn't want kids from, what is it, 11, 12 to, 6, 12 to 15, That's 12 right. to 16 yeah, yeah. to get the, the jab. And the, the government went against it. So does he still think that? But I wasn't allowed to ask any questions. No. <laughs> so they just shut me down. Everything I asked. I just, just shut down. It wasn't my my place to ask questions. It was my place to answer them. To answer them, yeah. It was just bully tactics. Well, of course, um, and it's not the first time in the course of my career that I that I've heard a story like that. Tracy, we're just about out of time. Um, I'm so delighted that you're you're back working and that you're enjoying it, and that you've made your peace with leaving nursing. You you know, I I think you were gravely wronged. I think anybody who who's read the story or who's follow, followed it, will know that even if you were wrong, I said this to somebody before I was speaking about you months ago, and I said, you know, if these jabs were absolutely fine, if they were, if these jabs were the safest things in the world, if they were as safe as oranges and apples, Tracy McCallum wouldn't have been fired. They would have put their arm around her and said, Tracy, you're under a bit of pressure at the moment. We're, we're, we're going to give you a bit of time out and we'll... Uh, you know, let you go on holiday and chill out a bit. They would have been fatherly and motherly towards you if the jabs were fine and dandy. They they that wouldn't have reacted have been like the that. Old NHS, Richie. I don't think that would be the NHS we're in now. Maybe not. Maybe I'm being idealistic. But you, you know the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, for for me, the fact that the jabs are first of all unnecessary, and second of all, prove proving to be dangerous. I think the reaction. Of um of your supervisors and your bosses and the trust is obviously one of um of a group of people who wanted to cover things up and shut you up pretty quickly and not only that but to send out a message to anybody else in nursing or in any other job whether it be cleaning or or or, or working as consultants or whatever shut up about it look at what we'll do to you if you yeah. speak out you know so but I'm, I'm I think that's more likely they made an example of me. I think so. It's smacked of it. And again, I've been in I've been in the media since 1998. I've seen this a lot when somebody stands up and says, hey, listen, there's something wrong here. They're not so much thinking about the person 
that speaking out, they want everybody else to understand, listen, don't speak out. And what we'll do is we'll bury you or we'll, we'll, we'll intimidate you or we will humiliate you. In your case, it didn't work. They didn't humiliate you. Um, you've not lost any standing. Your friends are still your friends. Your family are your family. You've made a lot of friends around the world. You're happy in yourself. And now you can speak about these things as an expert with 20 years experience. And people will listen to you because of that. So I think all all told, I think it's been a, tur- you know, a turbulent year for you. But from the outside looking in, I think you're you're in a better place now than you were last year. So just want to thank you for doing it. And for, on behalf of my listeners, for having the courage last year to do it. It really does mean the world to me. So thanks, Tracy. No, thank you. Um, I'd just like to take the opportunity to say um, and other nurses get in touch if empty struggling because it is a horrible situation to be in. But from my point of view, I don't have any regrets, Richie. I could, I've got my moral compass intact. Um, I've still got my dignity. I can still look at myself in the mirror. Absolutely right, Tracy. This, you just mentioned people getting in touch. Is it a Facebook page they should find you on? Where should they get you? Just see if, see if they just it's just Tracy McCallum on Messenger. If they just send me a private message on Facebook Messenger, I am I'll add them to my group. Fantastic. Stay in touch with um, me. I know you will. Yeah. We're 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 we're, we're connected. And um, when there's anything more to say, you're always welcome back on, Tracy. The only other thing I'd just like to say is, uh, you know, Kirsty Miller and Kristen Percival are doing Humanity UK, so that's really trying to get lots of nurses together and retrain them into some more um, natural health. So uh, just so that the nurse, other nurses know that there is something else out there as well. Get Kirsty back on. There is people trying to do stuff. I'll get Kirsty back on to talk about it and to give yeah, it a plug. Yeah, should do because they're doing well. I will do. I'll give you my word. Tracy, thanks a million. Tracy McCallum there, live on the line from Ayrshire. Uh, Great lady, I think. And uh, uh, plenty of comments coming in through the website, richieallen.co.uk, about her experiences of the last 12 months. It's exactly eight minutes past six. Paul Craig Roberts is standing by to talk to us from Virginia. He mightn't be in Virginia today. You don't want to miss that. It is a Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, the 16th of November, 2021. Time for a little bit of Bob Dylan then. This is Lay Lady Lay. PCR is next. Not that PCR. Our PCR. Stay. Stay while the night is. Yeah, Dylan there and Lay Lady Lay. The time is 11 minutes past six. It is at the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford here in the northwest of the UK. Let's get rid of Bob there. I want to welcome back to the programme my great friend. He is a great friend. He's been speaking on my radio programmes and television programmes for many years. He's an economist, a brilliant author, a journalist, and, of course, is a former US Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. He worked in the Reagan administration. Do read him, please, at his website, paulcraigroberts.org, and support him as well. Welcome back to the programme. My friend and your friend, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. Welcome back, Paul. How are you? Thank you. Thank you, Richie. Fine, thank you. Thanks for um, the work. Really interesting stuff on the website this week and every week, paulcraigroberts.org. I want to talk in a moment about the strange phenomenon of fit, young, successful athletes collapsing in a heap during sporting contests. We'll come to that. 
But I can't not start with the news out of Austria, which we learned in the last couple of days, that the Austrian Premier, a guy called Schallenberg, has told the unjabbed to go home and stay home, and he's told the police they can find them up to €1,400 if they're found outside without a good reason. Totalitarianism, Paul, what do you say? Well, I, it looks to me like the resurrection of the Third Reich. Uh, or worse, I can't remember Hitler ever putting uh, um, a third or more of the population under house arrest. But that's what the Australian, Austrian uh, Chancellor has done. He's put um, at least one third of the population under house arrest. Why? Uh, for uh, not agreeing to the violation of the Nuremberg laws. So he's saying, because you disagree with my violation of the Nuremberg laws, uh, for which uh, some of my predecessors were executed, um, <clears throat> I'm going to confine you to house arrest. Now, I don't know why people uh, put up with this. Uh, this sort of uh, brutal, uh, illegal uh, uh, policy is enough to pull the man out in the street and hang him off the nearest lamppost. I mean, it's a, it's a murderous policy toward millions of people. Why do they tolerate it? Who gave him uh, the authority to violate the Nuremberg laws? Nobody. Uh, so I see it uh, again, uh, uh, the world uh, submitting uh, to tyranny. They just find it uh, too much difficulty to oppose it. Yeah. And we, I, th I think last time we spoke about it, last time was an incredible, it was an incredible hour last time we spoke. Well, I think we spoke for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, because you said, Richie, I'm beginning to think that things are going on that I wouldn't have imagined were, were, were possible in the past. And that struck a real chord with a lot of my listeners, be, you know, who would look up to you because of your experience, because you've experienced, you know, the cut and thrust of international, well, national politics, of course, economics. And for you to say, there's something very, very, very sinister going on here. And we talked, of course, about depopulation. But we, you mentioned Schallenberg there and why they put up with it. The lockstep aspect of this is breathtaking. When you see the Irish government has decided today because there are 100 people, Paul, in a population of 5 million, there are 100 people in intensive care across my country. They've decided to impose upon people that they should work from home again. The Scottish First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, said today that people have a civic duty to get vaccinated that they have to do it, that it's not good enough. And if they don't want to have restrictions at Christmas, they better do it. They're speaking in lockstep. Someone somewhere is giving them a set of notes and they're all reading from the same notes. That's how I see it. No, I, I agree with you. There's a, that's the only explanation. You see, the evidence, the scientific evidence in all of the renowned experts, including Nobel laureates, it's clear the vaccine does not protect you. The vaccine 
harms you in two ways. It has serious side effects. As the UK adverse <clears throat> reaction database shows, as the EU database shows, as the American database shows, there are uh, tens of thousands of deaths, hundreds of thousands of injuries from the vaccine that are rec officially recorded. Now, we know also that what is officially recorded is a tiny percentage of the actual cases. So we have overwhelming evidence that the vaccine has very serious and deadly side effects. We also know about the vaccine that it destroys your natural immunity. Your innate immunity is attacked by the spike protein in the vaccine and your immunity declines. The more of the vaccination you get, the less of your immunity remains. And so we have very prominent physicians and, and scientists saying they expect this winter as a consequence of mass vaccination that large numbers of people are going to die from simple things like the common cold, the seasonal flu, um, whatever kind of virus comes along because their own natural immunity is being, has been destroyed by being vaccinated. Now, the people who are saying this are not nutcases. This is no. not a conspiracy theory. These are highly renowned experts with, with established reputations, long uh, list of scientific publications. They know what they're talking about. So what explains the push for vaccination in face of the evidence? It has to be some sort of organized conspiracy against public health. There's no other explanation, Richie. No. You know, when this started, when the COVID started, uh, it's not been quite two years. Initially, I said, well, gosh, this is a terrible thing. And um uh, what's going to happen to people. And I was, uh, it never occurred to me that they were orchestrating a fake pandemic. But I wondered even at, at that time, I said, well, look, if this is so dangerous, why haven't they closed the borders? Why yeah. do they still permit all these people to come in from the highly affected areas? Why Good do they question. still permit the cruise ships? Why, why are they putting infected people into old people's homes. You know, that's what the New York governor did. He wiped out all the elderly in the old people homes by putting the affected, the, the infected people in there. They did it so here too. Yeah, they're doing so many crazy things. It made no sense even in their own terms. So that got me suspicious. And then I started paying attention to the fact that if a scientist spoke up, he was censored, deprogrammed, uh, demonized. Uh, they would try to uh, take away his job. Uh, and I saw more and more of that. And then I saw all of these large organizations of doctors and scientists saying that this vaccination program 
was far more dangerous than COVID and was doing far more damage and had to be stopped immediately. And I watched that the news throughout the United States, Canada, uh, Great Britain, European Union, Australia, nobody took this up. I mean, there, there were hundreds, there were thousands of scientists and doctors saying, hey, look, this, this is this is wrong. We're doing damage. We've got to stop this. The lockdowns are wrong. The vaccine is wrong. The masks are wrong. We've got to stop. We've got to stop. And there was never any public discussion. It was almost as if these people didn't exist. Yeah. Now, you can follow them on some Internet sites, but there's no real mention of them in the media other than to say, oh, these are conspiracy kooks. They believe in conspiracy theories. Well, there's no reason for independent scientists and Nobel laureates, uh, much less hundreds and, and, and thousands of them, to be uh, spreading a conspiracy theory. Absolutely right. So there has to be something going on, and the people who believe the narrative, they can only do so because they're overcome with fear. And they're so fearful, they've got to believe the narrative because the vaccine will save them. Well, I, have, I don't know anyone. I know, I know no one who has even had COVID, much less died from it. But I know a number of people who have died from the vaccine and have had serious injuries from it. My best friend took the vaccine against his better judgment. He knew not to do it. He took it and lost the use of his legs. No way, Paul. So now he's in a wheelchair. Oh. And they won't report it as a vaccine injury. His doctors won't report it. They say, oh, it's something else. So he's never had COVID. He doesn't have it. But he took the vaccine, and now he can't walk. And he walked well. He was mobile and yeah, sure. before he was mobile. Yeah. Sure, sure. And, but, but there, but, and I, know, uh, uh, I know a woman... Uh, well, I don't really know her well, but a friend of mine knows her, and she lo she lost her son and her husband within 24 hours of them taking the vaccine. She didn't take it, but they took it, and they were dead in 24 hours, both of them. And my friend, the woman that I know, she this was her best friend, so she had she went. She flew all the way there to be with her and try to comfort her through the funeral and all of this. And they're just case after case after case. And they don't report the deaths, or very few of them, because they claim, oh, it's a variant. Oh, it's COVID. COVID killed them. Or, or they, you know, they don't come out and say, hey, look, we've created a Frankenstein monster. Despite the fact that the evidence from hospitals show that shows that the majority of the patients are vaccinated people. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's no evidence whatsoever that supports the official narrative and yet they still push it to the extent of locking down or of establishing home arrest for one third of the population of Austria. And it looks like the same thing is about to happen in Australia, in New Zealand. That's right. Yeah, it is. Uh, reading the UK Telegraph newspaper today, that's been reported on. It's 
kind of farcical. Gibraltar is a place I know very well because the very first time you and I spoke, I was living in Spain. I was living very close to Gibraltar. So we would cross the frontier often to go and get the cheap booze, Paul, because the booze is cheaper in Gibraltar, so we would do that. Now, I know Gibraltar well. This is astounding stuff, this. Gibraltar is the most vaccinated place on planet Earth. RT.com was able to demonstrate using weird mathematical statistical analysis that Gibraltar has a 118% vaccine uptake. That sounds impossible, but it isn't, because a lot of Spaniards travel in and out, spend some time in Gibraltar, and then come back out. They've just cancelled Christmas because of rising cases. The entire population of Gibraltar has had two of these poison jabs, and yet they're going to cancel Christmas because everybody is getting COVID. Come on, Paul. Yeah. In fact, what I would say, Richie, they're not getting COVID. <clears throat> they're having reactions to the vaccine. Yeah. And their own natural immunity is destroyed, so they don't have any protection against any of the traditional diseases like cancer. You know, the cancer rates are exploding everywhere in vaccinated countries. So the vaccine is destroying their natural immunity, therefore making them subject to whatever is out there. And it's also causing adverse reactions. And what they're doing is they're saying that's COVID cases. It's not COVID cases. It's adverse reactions to the vaccine and it's the destruction of the innate human immune system such that the bodies can't ward off just ordinary things. Yeah. A common cold becomes life-threatening. Some of the epidemiologists that Paul referred to, we have Paul Craig Roberts uh, on the programme today. Paul is, of course, I know I don't need to tell you, but if you're new to the programme, he's a former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. He's an author, economist, and you really need to read his articles at paulcraigroberts.org and share them around and support him when you do that. For those of you who are new to the programme, and I know we're, we're, we're drawing in audiences from all over who are just beginning to see this, I'm not jumping all over Paul and demanding that he explains about the spike proteins. I'm not doing that because I've interviewed all of them. I've had Sakarit Bakhti on the programme. I've interviewed Martin Kuldorf from Harvard University. I've had them all on. Roger Hodkinson. They've all said this. These are learned men and women. Paul put it very eloquently. Why would Nobel laureates lie through their teeth about spike proteins and vaccine injuries? They would only do it if they believe it to be happening. They told me a year ago, these epidemiologists, they said, Richie, what these vaccines might cause in the body, they might cause the body to manufacture the spike protein itself, introduced to it by the vaccine. And in the near future, when you're exposed to the cold or the flu or rotavirus, your immune system might start to break down your body. That's what these people said to me. As Paul said earlier, these aren't kooky conspiracy theorists. This is what they believe. This is why I'm not challenging Paul and butting in and asking him to prove it. They've been on this programme, these people, and uh, they deserve to be heard. And Paul, you made an absolutely fan fantastic point. 
we come from a time, you and I, there's a bit of an age gap between us. But we remember, don't we, a time when the government scientists would be forced to go on television programmes to be confronted by the great Barrington doctors who would have challenged their, you know, their their findings on COVID. You made the point, these men and women have been shadow banned, they've been exiled, and they are some of the most, um, well, they were pre-COVID, some of the most revered academics in the world. Now they're gone, nowhere to be seen except the independent media. Uh, that's right. We've never, I don't think in, in recorded history there's ever been such a suppression of truth. I don't even think Stalinist Russia uh, achieve this type of total control over the narrative. I don't think we've ever seen before the triumph of lies over truth to this extent. I mean, Stalin got away with a great deal. Hitler got away with a little bit. Uh, but so did Churchill. So did Franklin Roosevelt. But we have never seen anything like the suppression of truth in this time. The media, whether it's British or American or Canadian or French or German, whatever, they speak with the same voice. It's the same message. It's the same narrative. You, you can't see anything any different. This has never before existed. When Stalin spoke, he spoke, the Soviet press spoke, but other press didn't. Other leaders didn't back this up. Uh, but today, the lies is just sort of universally backed, except by the suppressed voices on the internet media. So what, uh, what, what is it all about? Uh, initially, it looked like, well, it's just about profits for the drug companies. And then when all the, the coercion came in, and the lockdowns and the, the mandates, it looked like, well, the governments are using it to take more control over people. But now you see that the evidence is clear. It's not even disputable that the vaccination is killing people and destroying the immune system. And it continues. So it's even worse than profit and control. There's something worse going on. This is evil. This is really evil. Did you know that that uh, the, the cardiac sections of hospitals in the United States, some of them now, are full of just born babies whose mothers took the vaccine when they were pregnant. And the babies are born with heart problems and are in uh, uh, the cardiac emergency sections of hospitals when they're born. I didn't know that. So the press won't be reporting on that. Who Who's talking about that, Paul? I posted something uh, last week. It's, it's probably in the guest section of my website. And I think it's it still shows. And I don't remember uh, offhand the name and the report, but it's there posted. You can just open up my website and it should be right there under guest. Yeah, I'll get it, Jay. And so when I've you, got when it. You see, and and they're going to and, and and they're pushing vaccinations now for five year olds. 
Well, we also know for a fact that COVID doesn't hurt kids, but we know the vaccine tears them to pieces. And so the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, which is supposed to be a regulatory agency for public health in the United States, has now approved vaccination for five-year-olds. That's right. And they're trying to do it here. By the way, Paul was referring to the investigative journalist Steve Kirsch, and Kirsch received an email from a whistleblower telling him that three neonatal ICUs are completely full of newborn patients in a cardiac hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've got it like, here. That's what it is. I yeah. remember that now. Yeah, yeah, that's disgraceful, and there, it's, cr- it's criminal. But yeah, yeah, and and we know that uh, there've been. Uh, several thousand spontaneous abortions of pregnant women who were vaccinated. They got vaccinated and they aborted. And they still recommend the vaccine for pregnant women. Now, I'm not talking about two or three. I'm talking about two or three thousand. And by the way, they're not recommending the vaccine for pregnant women. They're pushing it on them in in in, in a way that's... it's 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 far more... It's far more urgent than anything else. Every time I turn on the media here, it could be anything. It could be BBC Radio. It could be ITN News. It could be Sky News. Somebody is on there urging pregnant women to come forward quickly. And they're telling a lie here. And I know this to be a lie in terms of my local hospital. Uh, You won't be aware of this, Paul, but I live within a stone's throw of one of the Northwest's biggest uh, hospitals. It's called Salford Royal. It is massive. And claims have been made here that ICUs are filling up with pregnant women who declined the jab. I know some nurses in my local hospital, they have told me categorically that is a lie. It is not happening. Intensive care units are not full of pregnant women who did not have the jab. They are desperately keen to jab pregnant women with with these concoctions. It must be the same there in the U.S., Yes, it is. It's, it's just constant lies. And the, there's enough of the truth leaks out, despite the censorship, that people are catching on and they're starting to see, well, that doesn't make sense. And, but they don't know what to do. There's no leaders. There's, there's no way for a leader to step up because he, he can't communicate to the people. He, he he won't be covered. He, you know, the, the media is not going to put him on TV. Uh, so it looks like they're prepared to mass murder people. And that, that seems to be the intention. There's really no other explanation, Richie. It's, you know, you can't, you no. can't believe that the political leaders and the public health officials, people like Tony Fauci, for example, that they are not aware of the actual facts. They have to be aware. They just deny them. So as they are aware of them, they know that they are killing people, and yet they continue to push that program. They see the same data you see. You, uh, as bright as you are, or might be, I think you are, you, like like me, and I'm not as bright as you, I've not got your experience. 
we might be lay people, but as journalists, we understand how to analyse data. We can see what's going on uh, and we report on it. So you're damned right, Paul. Fauci can see it. The UK SAGE group advising the government, they can see the same data. They know that these jabs are terribly dangerous for a, for a large portion of the population and maybe the entire population. Let me ask you this, not to change tack really, but just to kind of just move, change the angle a little bit. What do you see your role as? I was thinking about you this morning and I was thinking, does Paul see himself now? Does, does he see his responsibility as alerting people about this so at the very least they won't take the vaccine. On some level, are you resigned? Now, I know you just said a minute ago that people are waking up, but on some level, are you resigned that in the meantime, it's going to be difficult for us to win this? So at the very least, maybe, if we can help prevent some people or some numbers of people from having the job, that might be a win in the medium term. Is that how you see things at the moment? I think you have a responsibility to speak the truth yeah. if you know it. And I followed it so early and started seeing all the inconsistencies so early. And maybe because the website is widely read in the world. Yeah. And maybe because I have a certain amount of credibility compared to ordinary people because I had a high government post and I was a Wall Street Journal editor um, they don't expect me to be making up stuff. And, and so I've gotten to know a lot of the virologists, the epidemiologists, the uh, medical research people. And they speak quite frankly to me. Sometimes I don't post until I've checked with them what I'm saying. And so I've, I, I know there's a wide community of people who know that this is fraudulent, that this whole pandemic is fraudulent. They created the pandemic with the PCR test that produces 97% false positives. So that's how they got the great number of cases to scare people with. And then they count all the deaths as COVID deaths. They even have counted gunshot deaths as COVID deaths. Have they really? They yes. Have, yeah. And they've counted motorcycle deaths as COVID deaths. And so in the hospitals here, and I think everywhere, but certainly in the United States, they have an incentive, financial incentive, to report every death as a COVID death. It pays them money to do that. So... And they know that these are not COVID deaths, but up go the revenues to the hospital. So all of this is, is known. And the whole thing is a fake from day one. You want to know the truth. The only people who have died of COVID were people who had comorbidities, who were already dying and were not treated for COVID. Remember, they, they banned and discredited the known treatments, yeah. ivermectin and HCQ. Yeah. And they had to do that. Otherwise, they couldn't get the emergency use for the vaccine because the emergency use requires there be no No cures. other options, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So 
So you, th this whole thing is a setup. And I didn't know that instantly, but it, it has revealed itself over time. There's no other explanation. Why did they use a test that they knew produced false positives? It's even worse, Paul. It's even worse. They used the test and they deliberately amplify the samples yeah. far more times than they should do. They should do it maybe 20 times or maybe less, maybe, but they're doing it 30 and 40 times. So some people have used the PCR test to test ham sandwiches and they've, they've, they've amplified the cycle so many times they found the, the food uh, to test positive for uh, COVID. I must mention this, Paul. I can't believe I didn't think of this. When you talked about the babies, the, the, the babies going to cardiac units, would you believe I interviewed a gentleman last week called Wesley Jackson and he is a funeral director in London. And he reached out to the programme to say that he's seeing some incredibly sinister things. And one of the claims he made on the programme was that he visited a mortuary at a well-known London hospital a couple of weeks ago. And there were 30, Paul, 30 infants in refrigeration there. Infants that had passed away. Now, he's given me the name of the hospital privately and I plan to name it when I've given the hospital sufficient time to respond to my request for information. Because I've reached out to the hospital to ask, why is this funeral director telling me that 30 babies, that, that, that's unheard, unheard of. For a hospital mortuary to have 30 babies in there. It's unheard of, right? So I'm waiting back. I, I guess that doesn't surprise you in light of what you've told me already. No, and you, but you see it everywhere, not just the babies. Look at all the sports stars dropping dead while they're playing. Yeah. These are people in the prime of life. They have to be extremely healthy. And they're dropping dead. You know, uh, soccer stars are just dropping dead while they play. Uh, there, uh, the other day, there was a triathlon, triathlon woman. She was swimming and just died while she was swimming. There have been, uh, here in the States, um, high school football players. They die on the playing field. This has never happened in history. You've never in history uh, seen uh, soccer players just dying one after the other in, in the middle of the game. No, right? no. Once in, a, once in a blue moon, we did see a player have a cardiac event or a cardiac arrest. Once in a blue, blue moon. And yeah. they were dealt with. But you're absolutely right. This is unprecedented. It's unprecedented. It's just... I, I posted recently a film of just one soccer player after another. Blah, blah, blah. It would just... Um, this has never happened. So what's the explanation? Um, they, and they're all vaccinated. They're all vaccinated. But do we know that for a fact? Yes. They make them be vaccinated. Yeah. You know, here there's a controversy. Some of the famous uh, American football stars, uh, they refuse. Uh, and so they're going to throw them off the team. Um, and basketball uh, players in New York as well. Yeah. A coach refu refused, and so the football team removed the coach in the middle of the season. That's so right. They, they don't even have a coach. Yeah. Um, That's a big yeah, university. That, I, I saw that story. It's a big university football team, and they got rid of the coach. I'm going to ask you a question that's going to infuriate you, but you're, you're far enough away from me that you can't reach me. So I'll ask you anyway. Right. With, with things being as obviously wrong as they are, why are the majority still wearing masks in their cars, 
Why are they coming forward for the boosters? Why can't they see it? I know this is a boring question for you, but you're an octogenarian. You've got a big brain on you. Surely you can help us. I, I, it can't just be media brainwashing. There must be something else going on that they can't see it. Well, I, I think we, we've already mentioned it. It's fear. Fear. They're, they're fearful. They, they believe the propaganda and they're fearful. And so they have to have a hope that they can be protected. And so they believe the mask and the vaccine. So, you know, you would think after they're told, okay, if you're double vaccinated, you're protected for life. They're told that a few months later, oh, well, we were wrong. You have to have a booster. And, and now they're saying, oh, you got to have a booster every six months for the rest yeah. of your life. Yeah. Well, you would think they would catch on and say, well, look, this is too many things that I've been told that are wrong, 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 wrong. Something's going on. But I think it's the fear. They're just they're fearful. Oh, I don't want to die. I don't want to get sick. If I get sick, I'll die. Well, first of all, the, it's now established that COVID has a very low fatality rate. Even for elderly people. And again, the people who died were people with comorbidities. They were already in the process of dying. Yeah. And they were not treated for COVID. Here, the protocol was, if you've got COVID, you stay home in, in isolation. And if you don't get better, after a week or two, and you get worse, then you come to the hospital. Then, <clears throat> so the so the virus is well established in you before you get any medical attention. And then, what medical attention did you get? You didn't get ivermectin or HCQ, which would cure it. They put you on a ventilator, and the ventilator killed you. Yeah. Or now, what they do? They put you on that remdesivir. This remdesivir, which is another big pharma thing, it attacks your kidneys. It kills people. So they, they put you on something that kills you if you go to the hospital. And the hospital cares less because, oh, we got another COVID death. We get more money. They're, they're paid according to the nature of the death. And COVID brings in the most money. So everything's a COVID death. I posted uh, just the other day, just last week or yesterday, uh, the case of the gunshot victim. He shot up with guns, dies with bullet wounds, and the official uh, death certificate says he dies of COVID. Now, this is making a problem for the prosecution who are trying to say, <laughs> well, he died from gunshot wounds. <laughs> the official death certificate says he didn't. He died from COVID. Oh, so they, my God. they can't make a case against the killer. I'm sure I posted that. You did. A listener has just sent me a link to it on my own website. You did yeah. post it, and I've got it here. If this wasn't in front of my eyes, even though I know that you are not a liar, I know you're not. I've known you for too many years. I still find it hard to believe, but I've just looked at the link here. Fantastic. Your Honour, I might have shot him 17 times in the chest, but I didn't kill him. The no, COVID got him. Right. I mean, what does the prosecutor do? Yeah. The official cause of death is COVID. It's so not how even can funny. he prosecute the guy for shooting him? It's, you know, look, 
uh, Richie, I, I can't claim that everything I post or repost is true. But I don't post things that I know aren't. Of course not. False. Yeah. yeah, you can't tell you, you when you when you repost a news report, uh, even if it's coming from a site that, you know, is skeptical of the narrative, you can't be sure that it's actually right. I mean, I know for a fact that governments uh, and uh, intelligence services like the CIA, they they set up websites to put out disinformation to confuse people and get even skeptical people arguing among yeah, themselves. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, they've been doing it forever. This was, yeah. this was explained to me in the 1970s by James Jesus Angleton, who was the head of CIA counterintelligence. He sat down and explained it to me one day <laughs> about how they can control any narrative and how they cover up what they do because the cover story is already planted in the media when it happens. And as the story starts wearing out, they start releasing other stories. And some people will believe one of them and some people will believe the other story and then the people start arguing between themselves and they lose the point of the whole thing. And he says, this is how we get away with whatever we want to get away with. We're seeing that in the independent media of 2021. We're seeing that very phenomenon. We're seeing people fighting over whether the virus exists or not, whether yeah. it's been nice, all of this. And I'm absolutely, I will platform any opinion. And I've had people on who've said everything. And ultimately, some of my listeners get annoyed with me because I don't grab onto any one of these narratives because the overall problem remains the same, whether the virus exists or not. It's a waste of time to be arguing over these things. Uh, you're right, Paul. Absolutely. This is tyranny. It's open tyranny. It's a depopulation agenda. And uh, for us to be bickering over the details of, and OK, look, it might be, some people might say, well, Richie, it is important if if the virus itself isn't real, if it's a super flu or if it's not. But look, I say, look, ultimately, while we're killing one another over the, the details, the agenda proceeds step by step right. by step. That's how I see it. Yeah. That's right. That's You've got it. And that's why it's so hard to, to wake people up because each one gets a different story and they get committed to that. And then, yeah, you see that. You see this everywhere in, in everything. Just remember the John F. Kennedy assassination. That's what happened. Everybody who was suspicious, they started going on at each other because one had this view, one had this view, and so the CIA got away with it. So, yeah, I think... Um, but it, it didn't used to be like that. You come from a time, and I came from a time, where we didn't take it personally when our views were challenged. In fact, we enjoyed it. Because if you and I believe that there is a depopulation agenda, and we do, both of us believe it, um, we come from a different time. I'm not going to fall out with you or or decline to invite you back on the programme because you see an aspect of it that I don't. We, we, we were never like that. We were happy to be challenged and to have arguments. You and I have um, debated stuff before. We've had a few 
uh, back and forth about stuff. But it seems that humanity has lost that ability to live with other people's opinions. That's incredibly dangerous, that. Well, I think it's worse than that. It's not yeah. opinions. It's not just opinions. Well, opinions differing. It's that truth has lost its power. Yeah. People don't care what's true. And so lies can prevail over truth. That's the new thing. The, how easy lies can prevail over truth. It's not just a clash of opinion. Yeah. The people who are telling us the COVID narrative, they know it's false. It's not like they believe it and we don't, and we're having a difference of opinion. Fauci knows the COVID narrative he is knows. false. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He knows it's false. Um, so it's not a difference of opinion. It, it's He doesn't respect the truth, or he doesn't respect human life. He has some other agenda that's more important. Do you know what I so, meant, Paul? What I meant was opinion, differences of opinions between people like you and me. That's what I meant. I didn't uh, mean, that's what I meant. Like, you and I both know that it's tyranny. But yet yeah. we, could, we could disagree over one aspect of the tyranny. But we still know it's tyranny. So, yeah. because, because we learned over the years to, to respect, we both know it's tyranny. Paul sees some aspect of it a bit differently. But I don't then dismiss Paul Craig Roberts. Because Paul Craig Roberts knows that it's tyranny. And, and that's, see, that's the way it is, you know. Neither one of us is trying to control the narrative no, for, that's some, it. for some agenda. No. See? It, and that's the difference. That now it's not a debate. It's a control the narrative for an agenda. We have an agenda and we're controlling the narrative. And that's what's new. That's what's being done on a mask on a mass level, you know, and why is all of the media involved? I mean, you, you couldn't possibly bribe every one of them. It has to be they just go along to get along. Well, you and I talked for years. When I first interviewed you, I was on the radio in Spain. We talked about how how hundreds of thousands of news bureaus, television stations and radio stations all became controlled by four or five mega corporations. You yeah. and I talk, you've written about this in your books. Yeah. You know, that's how it happened. And I was part of the mainstream media. I saw how it was all bought up. We have got about 60 seconds left. You will get the final word as usual. Um, I hope we'll pick it up again, if not in December, uh, definitely early January, uh, Paul. I obviously recommend that people go to Paul's website, Paul Craig Roberts. Uh, org. You have been listening to the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, the author, the economist, and uh, all-round good guy, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. Paul, final word to you, and okay. uh, we'll pick it up again. Go ahead. Here's, here's the danger. This winter, it's likely a lot of people are going to die from their impaired immune system from the vaccine. So the death rate is likely to spike. That will be used to say, oh, a new variant, we're in greater danger than ever. And more controls and more coercion will be the result. That's what we've got to be on our guard against. We've got to say we don't believe this any longer. But if these immune systems are damaged, 
then the winter, you're going to see a spike in deaths. They're going to blame it on COVID, a new variant, or some new pathogen. They're going to ramp the scare factor up again and insist on more control, more coercion. We have to be prepared that this is likely the winter agenda. For next week in advance, early happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, Paul. And thanks a million for coming back on the programme today. We'll pick it up again soon. Thanks for your time, Paul. All the best for now. All the best. Paul Craig Roberts, live on the line to us today from Virginia. It's exactly three and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Thanks again to Paul. PaulCraigRoberts.org is the website. Also, thanks, big thanks to Tracy McCallum, the former NHS nurse who came back on the programme a little bit earlier. Uh, thanks for your comments, by the way. Uh, hundreds of them came in again during the programme. Uh, Tom mentioned a few minutes ago about a hockey player in Slovakia collapsing during the game. Uh, another one of these weird and uh, disturbing cases of, a, of an athlete collapsing during a game and people wondering was the athlete vaccinated or not, did the vaccine play any part in that event That's um, I think that's something we're going to pick up again on the programme in the coming days. I think I mentioned earlier but Sh- Sheriff David Hathaway is back on this programme months after he first came on he was terrific when he came on he's a sheriff in Santa Cruz, Arizona and I've gotten to know David well, I got, spoke to him on the programme, I've been in touch with him ever since he'll be with us tomorrow and I'll have plenty more as well uh, through the course of the rest of the week uh, look after yourselves and one another as usual enjoy the rest of your Tuesday uh, again thanks to Paul Craig Roberts and to Tracy McCallum I'll finish up with the Pasadena's today just for the heck of it I just dragged it out of the playout system hasta pronto as they say in Spain see you tomorrow bye now bye now